Hello friends, this is Pastor Christopher Alam at home in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I trust you are doing well and that you and your household are blessed in all things. Praise God. We are talking about the blood covenant and this would be lesson number 31 in our subject of the blood covenant. And I am um, now into the, how do you say, uh, the whole theme of uh, everything that God promised Israel in the old covenant is available to us in the new covenant and not only available available to us but, if, but there are certain things that were not promised to them that are available to us and whatever was available to them is available to us but in an, in, in an enhanced manner in a greater portion so <clears throat> yesterday we talked about uh, uh, John first uh, John 416 uh, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whosoever, whoever abides in love, abides in God and God abides in him. Now, today I want to start by talking to you about Hebrews 13 verse 5. It says, let your conversation be without covetousness and be, <coughs> sorry, <coughs> be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I repeat this. Let your conversation, or conversation uh, here actually means, you know, the, the Greek word that is translated conversation. It doesn't mean conversation like you and me talking. But conversation here means your walk, your, the way you live your life. So let your life, let your walk uh, be without covetousness. And covetousness um, the Greek word translated covetousness is very interesting. It actually means something very simple. It means the greedy desire to have more than what you already have. That's all it is. It's not, uh, uh, you know, extreme materialism. Many people, uh, they think that covetousness means extreme materialism. It doesn't go that far. All it means is the, is the greedy desire to have more than what you have and says, and be content with such things as ye have. And content is content. Uh, be content. Contentment is the opposite of covetousness. Covetousness is the greedy desire to have more than what you already have. And contentment means to be thankful to God and just be happy with what you have. I'm glad for what I have and I'm content. That's what it means. So, so it says <coughs> that let your walk. This is the word of God saying let your walk be without the uh, the that your christian walk be free from the desire to have more and be content with such things as ye have now that goes opposite to what uh, is really taught and preached a lot of modern day so-called prosperity preaching is actually greed and covetousness because it's uh, it's like um, it's all about having more. It's never being satisfied with what you have. And it's all about having more and having more and more is better. That's what it is. The thing is that having more and more expensive is better. I remember listening to a preacher, you know, one of these big prosperity preachers, and he was talking about, uh, you know, where he, you know, the things he owned and uh, he talked about his Rolex watches and he was talking about, uh, his house and the furniture in his house. He says, I've got two table lamps that are more expensive than my previous house. 
combined. And he was talking about all these things he had in the expensive hotels in Las Vegas. He went to on vacation. He was actually telling us all this. There were over a thousand people listening to him. And then he said something striking. And that, that really got me. What he said was this. He says, you see, when you don't have money, uh, when you don't have money, there are things that exist you don't even know about. But he says, but when you have more money, he says, you, uh, you find out about these things and your tastes get enhanced and your taste, not enhanced, but tastes uh, uh, get more. I don't remember the word, but what he meant was that your you get more, you develop uh, more expensive tastes. And, and he, but the way he framed it was, it was like a good thing. It was like a virtue to be that way. And I came away from thinking there and I'm thinking, is this what it is really all about? Because I believe in prosperity. Uh, uh, you know, I, I believe in prosperity. I, I mean, I was very close to Dad Hagen, Brother Hagen, and and I believe in prosperity. I I don't believe in poverty. I believe uh, the worst thing about poverty is that when you're in poverty, you're really unable to do much for anybody else because your own because your life is about surviving. But I believe in prosperity for the sake of fulfilling God's purpose on this earth. Because you see, we have a number of years on this earth. The Bible says 70 to 80 years shall the length of a man's days be. And we have X amount of years that God gives us. And we all stand in faith so we can live to a ripe old age. And when we are, you know, in an old age, we can look back at our lives and we can say, I like the Apostle Paul says, I have um, I have finished my course, I have run my, uh, run my race, and so we can look back at our lives with contentment, knowing that, that although we were not perfect, we were faithful and God was faithful. And then it's time to check out and go to our eternal dwelling, where it won't be 70 to 80 years, but we will live forever in the presence of Jesus. But you know, when you live your life with that realization, you realize that the things here on earth uh, you can't take them with you. You can't really. I mean, it doesn't matter how much money you have amassed, how much money you have had faith for, you cannot take it with you. The only thing you can really take with you from this earth are the souls that we win for Jesus. So, so I tell people, look, if you're a soul winner, win as many souls as you can, because that's what you can take with you. And if God hasn't called you to preach the gospel, support someone else who's doing so. Support your local church that is sending out missionaries, support missions, support, um, you know, ministries whose, whose end goal is either to win souls or to disciple people so they can be soul winners. You know, get involved in one way or the other. And, um, and that is the whole purpose. So, uh, so, you know, so people, you know, I mean, here I am, I live, I wish you could see my house. And it's a nice house, but it's a simple house. It's not fancier than anybody else's in, in my neighborhood. I mean, uh, you can see my house, my house number in the phone book. You can drive here and check out how I live and, and, uh, you can see what car I drive and you can even, uh, 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 you can go, you can look at our books. Anyone who prays for us or supports us has the right to look at our books and they know how much, how much money I get from the ministry and where, how we spend our money. We, we have nothing to hide uh, because uh, the people who support us, we have some wealthy people who support us and we thank God because they are called by God to handle wealth and, and you know, we 
thank God for their standing with us. But the majority of the people who support us are ordinary hardworking people. And even the wealthy people who support us, they're not lazy. They are also hardworking people. And so people work hard for their money and some have more, some have less, but they all sacrifice. And so I don't want to take people's sacrificial givings and, and giving and use that to live a high-flying lifestyle because uh, firstly, I'm too busy to enjoy uh, these, you know, material things and uh, I'm just happy with it. So people, sometimes people used to say, oh, Christopher doesn't believe in prosperity because, you know, uh, I've always driven an ordinary car. I have a Hyundai right now. My wife drives a 12-year-old minivan. So sometimes people look at those things and say, hey, he doesn't believe in prosperity. Yes, I do. Because if I did not believe in prosperity, I wouldn't be able to do the things I'm doing today. You know, I'm seeing almost about a million souls, anywhere between 800,000 to 1.2 million people at our altar calls every year. And that costs money right now. Right now, as I speak, we are sending uh, over 100 and we have sent out $110,000 to help hungry, poor pastors in Africa and in Asia. We are feeding hundreds of pastors for for three months, them and their family. We are providing rations for hundreds of these pastors' families for several months. And I couldn't do that if I believe in poverty. I believe in prosperity. I believe in sowing seed, in giving and receiving, but at the same time, I'm not a covetous person. You won't see me ever talk about that life is about having a bigger house or, or uh, you know, or, or, or a Rolex or about driving a Rolls Royce or, you know, having my own jet. That is not what my life is about. That's not what I'm about. And that's not what I preach. I, I preach Christ crucified and God confirms his words with signs following and I I win souls, I plant churches, I feed orphans, and the Lord is always faithful because he said, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things shall be given to you. Now, in the Bible, there are pitfalls. The, the, the Bible, it's interesting because the scriptures do uh, promise us material blessings. Uh, but there's two things to understand. Firstly, the scriptures have many warnings about the pursuit of of, of uh, monetary or financial blessings. That is actually something the scriptures warn us from about the pursuit uh, of, of, uh, of money and material things. But the scriptures do say that, uh, that, that money and material things come to us if we seek God first and his kingdom. If we, in, <coughs> the Bible says that uh, if we live a holy walk, live a righteous walk, God will bless us. Uh, if we walk a humble walk and a, and a godly walk, God is going to bless us with long life, with honor and with material wealth. So material wealth and prosperity comes as a result of seeking God and not as a result of seeking, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the pursuit of money. So I, I just want to bring this out because this is very important because it says, don't let your walk uh, be filled with covetousness. Just be happy with what you have. Be content. And you know, if you, if you want God to bless you financially, be content. And just, this is where you start. Instead of complaining about what you don't have. Look, for example, my Hyundai car I'm driving, I'm perfectly happy with it. But this is what the human flesh is like. I drive my Hyundai, 
I, and I'm happy with it until my neighbor drives it. I see him drive a new Mercedes Benz and suddenly I feel I need one like that. That is covetousness. I'm completely content and happy with this and I got to have this because my neighbor has it. That's the only reason I want it. And so that is covetousness. So the Bible says, keep your heart from covetousness. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things that you have and be content with what you have. Content, you know, contentment and thanksgiving is the best place to start. If you and I want God to bless us, to say, Father, I thank you for my life. I thank you that I'm saved. My name is written in heaven. I thank you for my wife. Thank you for my children. Thank you for I have a roof over my head. I have food to eat. I'm blessed with every blessing in Christ and every material thing I need you have provided. And I thank God that I'm, going to, uh, that I'm able to share with others what you have blessed me with. Now, that is contentment. Now, then it says that don't be covetous, don't, don't be greedy for more material things and, and be content because he has said, I will never leave them or forsake thee. So if you look at this verse, it is talking about, uh, uh, about contentment and being free from covetousness in this sense. Now, you see, there are, uh, there are four kinds of people, three or four kinds of people who want money. Some people want money because, uh, eh, because they want to use money to feed the poor for missions. That's, and I know people like that. I know some wonderful, I have some friends uh, who support our ministry, dear, dear friends. That's what they live for. They work very hard and they're wealthy. They make a lot of money, but it's, it's all about giving. It's all about helping the poor and, uh, you know, helping different causes uh, of the gospel. And, and that's, 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 that's the best way to live. And I know people and, you know, John Wesley, uh, he said, the founder of the Methodist movement, this is what he said. He says, make money, as much money as you can. He said, give away as much money as, as you can. And I know people who live by that ethos, right? That's the first kind of people. The second kind of people, they live, they, they go after money because because just having money gives them a sense of power uh, and, and it, 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 it kind of they, it gives them it gives them a kick. It's like a drug for them. Having money, you know, they might not spend it or use it, but just to be able to come on the top 100 or top 50, that's like a drug for them. And, you know, uh, some, for some people, it's sexual sin. That is their drug. Other people, it's power. It's a power trip. And the third kind of people is money. For some people, money is their drug. It gives them power. Uh, no, that's the second kind. The third kind of people who want more money because they think that having more money gives them what they call financial freedom. I can buy whatever I want to. I can go on an expensive vacation if I want to. If I want to buy this car, I can just buy it. I can buy whatever I can buy. And some people in churches, they use their money to buy positions in churches, uh, you, you, you know, I mean, people, if you, uh, you know, it's, it's like the kid with the, you know, when we were kids and we used to play football, one guy always came with a football and if he didn't, if he got upset, he would say, I'm taking my ball and going home. And I've had a guy do that to me, big support of our ministry. And then he wanted me to do something in his way while the other members of our board didn't. So he just left and uh, it's like I'm taking my checkbook and leaving and he just left and uh, uh, because we didn't do things his way. So some people, uh, they use their money to buy power 
uh, or, or, you know, they buy power, they buy a position in a church, they control using their money, or they go on expensive this and expensive that, they can buy whatever they want to. But the fourth kind of people, they, it's, it's about uh, safety, security. They feel safe and they feel secure having money in the bank. They know that, well, you know, if I have so many millions in the bank, I'm safe and secure. It gives them security. But if that is your security, then you don't realize where your security is because tomorrow your life can be taken away from you. And so that's what he's talking about. He says, let your walk be without covetousness or the desire to having more and be happy with what you have because I will never leave you nor forsake you. And I want you to have this assurance and me also, both of us, my brother, sister, to have this assurance that the Lord, he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. If you keep your heart pure and you will serve the Lord with all your heart and, uh, you know, uh, I can tell you, this is the promise of God. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. David said, I was young and I'm old and I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor his children begging bread. God will never forsake the righteous. He never forsake those who walk with him. And so believe me, so we are talking about the presence of God and that's the uh, first thing, you know, I'm talking about, you know, Yahweh Shama is the Hebrew equivalent when, um, uh, you know, the Lord promises his presence to the people. So the Lord prom prom promises his presence to us if we walk with him. And he says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Hallelujah. So the Lord is always with us. And he will never leave us nor forsake us. Amen. Now, let, let me, the next scripture I want to share with you is John 15 verses 4 to 7, where Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. Now, I like this because the word abide means to live. You know, we often talk about visitation. Now, there's a difference between abiding and a visitation. A visitation is when the Lord comes and then he leaves because he's visiting. You know, a visitation is when someone visits. So I can have uh, the Lord come to my house, have dinner with us, and then it's time to go. He goes back home. But his abiding presence is when the Lord comes and he brings his luggage and he says, hey, I'm going to stay in your house. And he stays with us and he's always with us and he never leaves us nor forsakes us. So Jesus is not talking about the visitation. In fact, nowhere in the New Testament just, just does Jesus ever uh, promises a visitation, but he talks about his abiding presence. So, uh, you know, so Jesus wants to abide with us. <coughs> he wants to abide in us, but he also wants us to abide in him. So us abiding in him is the key to him abiding in us. So in John 15 verses four to seven, Jesus says, abide in me, and I in you. He says, if you live in me, I will live in you. Hallelujah. Can you imagine? We give room to Jesus in our hearts. And, 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 and you know, we said, Jesus, just, just come and live in me. Just come and live in me. That means that we don't allow anything secret. You know, we don't. A person who has a double life. He, uh, when he, you know, a double life is a guy who keeps one appearance before man and there's another appearance who he really is in private. That's a man who lives a double life. A person uh, who, who lives a double life can never abide in Jesus because the Bible says that don't be deceived. 
because God will not be mocked. What a man sows, he shall reap. God sees everything. You can live a double life with your spouse, with your friends, with your pastor, with me, but you can never live a double life before God because he sees right through you. So to abide in Jesus means when I make a total surrender of my life to Jesus and say, Lord, I want to abide in you. Here I am. This is my life. If you see anything in me that is not pleasing to you, I I nail it to the cross. I put my life before you. And when you, you make a clean breast of your life, just make it totally, uh, totally transparent before God. And then what happens? Then the Lord says, okay, I will come and abide with you because you are clean. You're, the house that he's going to live in is clean. You know, if I'm going to have Jesus say to me, hey, uh, I'm going to come and live in a house, I'll clean the whole house. Sometimes we have guests coming. Uh, it's been a few years, but we've had guests come from Sweden, stay with us. And when my wife finds out they're coming, she spends days just cleaning up the place. I mean, that, but that's what Britta is like. She makes sure everything is clean and you know she wants to make sure everything is good everything is clean and so we want to do that when we have jesus coming as a guest um we want his abiding presence in our heart like we clean up and so jesus says okay you live in me and i will live in you so there's a transparency so he says he says as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine no more can ye except ye abide in me so he says that the branch cannot bear fruit. If you look at a vine or forget about a vine, you don't have many vines in America, but just look at any tree. It says because the, because the fruit doesn't come on the tree. The a fruit is always seen on the branch. Fruit or fruit grow on branches. But Jesus, he said, this is what Jesus said. He says that a branch is the one that bears fruit, but the branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine. So you cannot bear fruit unless you abide in me. And that is, that is true. A branch cannot bear fruit unless it is a part of the tree. If you cut a branch off from the tree, it will not bear any fruit. But the moment uh, the, the branch is cut off from the tree, it becomes unfruitful. But as long as it is part of the tree, so <coughs> it will bear fruit. That's what Jesus is saying. He said, live in me and I will live in you. Because just like the branch cannot bear fruit of its own power unless it is a part of the tree, so can't you bear fruit unless you are a part of me. He says, I am the vine or I am the tree and you are my branches. He who lives in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit for without me, you can do nothing. So Jesus is saying, look, I'm the tree and you are my branches. So the life in the branch actually is the life of the tree. If you look at a branch, uh, the life of the tree is the life that is in the branch. The tree, uh, the branch is an extension of the tree. So Jesus is saying, when I dwell in you and you dwell in me, you are an extension of me. It's actually my life in, is in you. Isn't that beautiful? The life of Jesus is in us when we abide in him and he abides in us. He says, that is when you will bear much fruit because you know that without me, you can do nothing. But when you're with me, you will bear much fruit. Hallelujah. He says, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch 
and he is withered and men gather them and cast them into the fire and then and they are burned that means if a man does not abide in me you know if he cuts himself off from me he said i don't want to live in you and and i'm doing my own thing he said when he cuts himself off what happens it is withered it dries up it dies and men gather them and then they're thrown into the fire. You know, we sometimes, whenever, sometimes we have a storm and we, we have some big trees behind our house and some of the branches fall down and we don't say, oh, this branch is a part of this tree. Well, this branch is a part of this tree. Let's, you know, no, we don't look at it as a, the moment it leaves the tree and falls on the ground, it is another piece of rubbish that has to be thrown away. We don't look at it anyway as a part of the tree. Although if you were to ask me, yes, it was a part of the tree, but that's now how I look at it now because it is cut off and it is fit good for nothing except to be thrown into the rubbish. And he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. This is interesting. If we abide in Jesus and <coughs> his words abide in us. So now this brings another uh, angle to this. Jesus abiding in us and his word abiding us are the same thing. So I cannot have a relationship with Jesus without having a relationship with his word. So Jesus is saying, if you abide in me and my words abiding in you. In other words, because you see, Jesus is the, is the living word. He and the written word are one. So his word abiding in me is actually him abiding in, in me. I cannot separate the two. I cannot say, well, I don't like, I don't like the word business, but I love Jesus. Oh, I love Jesus, but I don't like the word. Now, you can't say that because the word and the person of Jesus are one. They are one and the same. They are two expressions of the same person. Jesus is the word. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Now that kind of intimacy that Yahweh Shammah, you know, the Jew, the Israelites didn't have. What the Israelites had, God said, I'll be the one who is ever present. And that was, you know, in the tabernacle, in the in the temple they had god's manifested presence but here he's talking about another kind of presence a presence of intimacy when he says i will come and live in you and you live in me so you live in me and i live in you and uh, you will bear much fruit and 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 i must add one thing here before i end that uh, fruit and result are two different things nowadays we live in an age when people do church by programs a lot of churches are personality driven and personality personality driven charisma driven and and it's all about charm about marketing it, it and and methods and programs and you can build a church that way but unfortunately the lord is not in it uh, it's it's cold and plastic it has a lot of results but it doesn't have fruit uh, the difference between result and fruit is that result is measured in numbers, but fruit is mentioned is 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 uh, 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 re result is measured in numbers, but fruit is measured through how much of the person and the character and the presence of Jesus Christ you see. That is fruit, because fruit fruit has numbers, but fruit brings the presence of Jesus while results just has numbers but doesn't have the presence of Jesus Christ. So I want you to keep this in mind but I will end here and tomorrow we're going to talk about another 
element of this, but let us pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters. Thank you for their families, for their lives, for your hand upon them. I pray that they may, each one who has heard the sound of my voice, they may walk with you and bear much fruit so that you're glorified. I thank you that you have said that you will never leave us and you will never forsake us. And this is the wonderful assurance that we have of your presence. Lord, just like you are Yahweh Shammah, I am the Lord, the ever-present one to the Israelites. You are our Lord and you live in us and your presence is manifest in our lives. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.